So I set a goal on February 1st that by April 1st, I was going to get have 10,000 followers. That is an absurd goal considering that in eight months, I had 2,000, yeah. right? Or like seven months. So like in two months now, you're going to go from 2,000 to 10,000. So what I did is I did this two thread a week thing and I kept going, I kept going. It was March like 20th and I was at 2,500 <laughs> followers <laughs> or like whatever. So I'm not even close. Like I'm, I have 10 days and I am very far away. But I was at 5,000 followers and it was like April 1st. And I was like, shoot, I bombed this. Like I did not, I, I didn't do it. But April 9th, I write a thread of like, I interviewed, and it's my pin, pin one. I interviewed five founders of billion dollar startups. Here's what I learned. That one went, I went from 5,000 followers to 17,000 overnight. Damn. So I tripled, right? I more than tripled my following. And like, I failed to hit my April 1st goal, but by April 9th, I was well on my way and I did it. So I think that just like illustrates the point of like set the insane goal that like I technically failed, but I was way better off than saying, I'm just going to get double my follower count in two months. I'm going to get to 4,000. Hey guys, this is episode number 17 of Backstage Careers, the podcast where I talk to the people who are working behind the scenes with some of the biggest entrepreneurs and creators out there. In this episode, I talked to Chris Holadzik, who first popped on my radar when he became Sean Perry's apprentice. Sean is the host of My First Million, which is one of my favorite podcasts, and he's also the founder of Bebo, which was acquired by Twitch for $25 million. Chris was still a senior at Yale when he landed the job, and throughout his apprenticeship, he worked with Sean to research and ghostwrite Twitter threads and newsletters to grow Sean's audience. And in the process, he also grew his own Twitter following from zero to 50,000 followers. So here are a couple of things I think you'll enjoy from the interview. Number one, the ASS networking framework that Chris uses to connect with entrepreneurs and CEOs. It's honestly one of the most thought out networking systems that I've heard of so far. Number two, the biggest lessons he learned from his apprenticeship with Sean. And number three, how to grow your Twitter audience when you're starting from zero. Last thing, if you've been listening to a podcast, I really want to hear from you. Shoot me a DM on Instagram and let me know what you thought of this episode or if you have any questions for me. My handle is at Jeremy John Mary. All right, let's dive in. Yeah, so I guess to, like, to start off, I, I, I first, like you kind of popped up on my radar on Twitter, which I'm sure you get a lot. <laughs> so I, I started following this guy, uh, Sean, uh, Sean Purry, and who basically sold a company to Twitch, right? And now he's co-host of My First Million, which is like one of like one of the fastest growing like business podcasts at the moment, I would say. And I saw a tweet where he was talking about hiring an apprentice to help him like with his content creation, like help him with his Twitter, to help him with his newsletter. And that turned out to be you. So I guess to to start out, would love to hear a little bit more about how, how that came to be, how you guys connected, and how, why, why you think you ended up getting the position. And uh, Yeah. Totally, yeah. And Jeremy, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to chat today. Uh, but yeah, so my relationship with Sean started actually a year ago, almost. I saw him on a podcast, and at that point, he was at probably 20,000 followers. I saw him on a podcast, and I was like, this guy's really smart, kind of looked into his background, 
And I wrote a little bit of a thread on like some of the principles that he talked about uh, on the podcast. And I DM'd it to him. I was like, hey, like wrote about you, like thought you would like this. Um, he was like, oh, great. Like, thanks. Like whatever kind of thing. And that was our first touch point. So about a year ago. And then kind of just followed his stuff, like didn't really stay in touch with him much until I interviewed for my own podcast that I used to host. It was called Yale Entrepreneurial Society Eli Speaker Series. I interviewed Emmett Shear, the CEO of Twitch. So Emmett bought Sean's company and I asked Sean, hey, I'm interviewing your boss. Like, do you have any questions that I should ask him? Like, what would be your best question to ask him? Um, and he gave me a great question. And then that kind of was another touch point. And then kind of the tweet that kicked off, like kind of my more formal, like business relationship with him was Sam Parr said, tweeted out, he's like, how the hell did Sean go from 30 to 100,000 followers in two months? And at that point he went from 30 to 100K and I think it was like under 60 days, which is crazy growth. And I said, hey, I'm the nerd who's going to like figure out like how he, how he did that. So in literally an hour and a half, went back, did some Twitter advanced search stuff and like kind of figured out like five reasons or principles, like why he did that, attached the thread underneath it and kind of like tagged Sean. Um, and it did pretty well. And he, he DM me and said, Hey, you know, I like what you're doing. I like your threads. Like, would you be interested in working together kind of thing? So we hopped on a call and basically, and I ended up getting like an apprenticeship type job with him. And for three months, I basically helped him research content for Twitter threads, research news, email newsletter content, um, basically just like do kind of the original like due diligence and first draft type of stuff uh, for some of the content that he puts out. Uh, but yeah, it was great to really study him and, and learn from him about what makes him you know incredibly successful in the content game, um, specifically on Twitter. Uh, but yeah, it's been great to you know get a like kind of a front row seat to what he's been doing on the podcast as well. That's awesome, man. So. He, he reached out to you, right? So, I mean, you guys were kind of like talking here and there. Uh, I want to get more into like your networking stuff later because you're, you're, you seem to be pretty good at it. Uh, and you also have like, you, you've thought it out pretty well. You have like a framework behind it. Yep. But so you kind of like initiated a conversation, kind of like popped up here and there, right? Like, hey, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then um, you kind of did a thread about him. And then, Eventually, he came back to you and was like, "Hey, like, like your stuff is like, yeah, like your content game is like really strong. Like, can you help me with mine?" That that's what happened, right? Pretty much. Yeah, it was it was funny. Yeah, I definitely was the one initiating to start, and I would say most of the I guess quote unquote networking that I do, it's me initiating, right? I'm the kid that just graduated from college, reaching out to the more successful older person. But in this yeah. instance, I think I did enough to like put myself on his radar a little bit and and write the thread about him. And what's interesting is like he saw a lot of potential because, you know, at the point that I had DM'd him and we I'd start working for him, I had about 2,000 followers. Today, you know, I'm at almost 50,000. So like he saw, I was definitely not like, oh, wow, like, you know, you're really good. He wasn't like, oh my God, you're really good at this content game. It was, I see a little bit of potential. I can groom you and help you out and maybe push you to the next level. So definitely appreciate his his mentorship and support there. And uh, when he reached out, you were... Were you like a senior in college, junior in college? Yeah, so I just graduated from Yale about two or three weeks ago. So uh-huh. it was senior spring. So I started working for him in you know February or March, and I worked for him for about three months. Um, so yeah, I ended up in I ended in May. Gotcha. So you were going to classes, doing this on the side, kind of like nights and weekends type thing. What what was like the workflow like between you guys? Definitely. Yeah. So. 
I definitely, okay, so I, for my first two years at Yale, I played lacrosse. So I was on the lacrosse team and that was 30 plus hours a week on top of school, which was, you know, a lot to manage time management wise. You know, you learn all those types of things about blocking out specific times to like get stuff done. But with our seasons being canceled the past year and a half, two years with COVID, Uh it opened up a lot more time for me to dabble and learn more about the Twitter and the content stuff. And that really is what allowed me to even have the chance to do that. Because if we would have had lacrosse, I don't think I would have been able to manage it all. Um, But yeah, in terms of the workflow between the two of us, we had a Slack channel where, you know, he would, we called it like Twitter ammo, I think. So it'd just be like any sort of like interesting content we came across uh, from, from Twitter, from, you know, newsletters we read, blogs, podcasts, that kind of stuff. I think the point and what made Sean so great at what he does is that he is like insatiably curious. Like he is always digging up the coolest stuff on the internet. He's finding the coolest new things that are happening in NFTs. And then the next day it'll be an interesting like blue collar side hustle that anyone can start with vending machines. Then the next day it'll be like a really cool way that someone's growing their newsletter. You know what I'm saying? So like him and his right-hand man, Ben, uh, the two of them are just masters at digging up cool stuff. So for me, it was my job, like, Part of my job was just being curious and like taking like kind of the energy that I'm spending scrolling on Twitter or like consuming content into what can we do and build on that or where can we position ourselves. Uh, so it was it was more of a curiosity engine to start. Gotcha. So you guys have like this Twitter ammo uh, you kind of like like having the spreadsheet or something. And then uh, what happens from there? Like how what like you take that and you transform it into tweet threads? Like what's that? What's the process at that point? Were you guys hopping on calls at all? Like, did he train you like initially? Did he like kind of like like train you over calls initially? Or did you just like run with it? Um, yeah. So initially, we hopped on an original call, and it basically was like setting expectations. And I think one thing that people could learn from this that's really interesting is when you onboard anybody, Sean does this amazing job of like what would an A plus look like? Like what would it winning define winning was like the first like bullet point he had. So like what would winning look like, right? Like we're growing this, his audience to 500,000 followers or, you know, we're like, I'm learning a lot about like the ins and outs of writing a great tweet thread. So like just figuring out what each side wants and then reverse engineering, you know, what we can do to get there is something that he did a really good job of. And something also originally that I think people could learn from and and take for their own, you know, when they're hiring someone new or working with someone new is that we did this thing called like a power hour. The first, like we jumped on a call. I literally agreed to do the job. I was like, I think this sounds interesting. Let's do it. 20 minutes into our call, we had started, I did my first task. And that was like, he, he has this thing about like building early momentum. So it's like forming this like power hour of like, what's the first thing that we can do to like build momentum, get something done and like start our relationship off on the right foot. So for me, it was ter- helping write a draft to turn his like confidential investor memo because he has a rolling fund into mm-hmm. something that his newsletter subscribers could enjoy his content. But you have to redact numbers, you have to make it a little more interesting and that kind of stuff. And I wrote a first draft of that. And, you know, not all of those pieces make it into the final thing, but he, uh, it was a good kind of jumping off point for him and our relationship together. Nice. And over the last couple of months, what, what would you say you, you learned from uh, the relationship? Because so like the podcast is, um, I started the podcast because uh, I, I worked with, uh, with entrepreneurs, like I work with Noah right now, Noah Kagan, and 
I uh, worked with Tom Bilyeu before, and I just started noticing like a lot of people kind of behind the scenes like have bigger aspiration as entrepreneurs, right? And and a lot of them see this kind of like working behind the scenes with like someone that's kind of already succeeded in entrepreneurship as like the perfect education to kind of give them the skills of like where they eventually want to go. So I'm curious, like first of all, is that is that one of the reasons you uh, took the job to kind of like learn learn from like one of the masters in business, you know? Uh, and then second of all, what what did you learn from the time you you worked with Sean so far? Totally, yeah. So I'll start from the kind of what that you're. I'll just kind of tackle in two parts. So the first part is why did I take the job? One. I know I knew Sean was a master at writing Twitter threads and and the Twitter content game, and he had a really successful newsletter. So I said, even if I just learn how to tell a better story, this is a success. Because uh-huh. when it comes down to it, a great Twitter thread or a great podcast host, they're just great at telling stories. So if I learn how to write a better story, it's a win for me. That that was how I define like winning and losing. So that that was the first thing, and the second thing was my aspirations were to take my following from two thousand to 100,000, which was crazy ambitious, right? Like, you know, this kid who's at, you know, a college kid with 2,000 followers wants to get to 100,000. Crazy ambitious, you know, I'm halfway there now. Uh, so it wasn't, it, I'm, I'm closer, I'm getting closer. So I knew, you know, and I said, I told him that up front, you know, my goal is to get to 100,000 followers. And we can talk about why that's my goal, actually. And we can talk about all those different things if you want to get into it. Um, yeah. That was the upfront ambitions. Second, what did I actually learn? So I learned a bunch of things. The two things that really stick out that I've kept with me every time I try to write a thread or write a piece of content now is that you want to reverse engineer the emotion of the audience to, uh, you want to reverse engineer like the emotion you want someone to feel to get them to share it or like, you know, trust you more or like do something like that. Because at the end of the day, people don't like react off of like logic. It's react off emotion. So he uh-huh. had these seven emotions that he would write at the top of the of his uh, the Google Doc or the top of the paper between before he would write a tweet thread. And like one would be, in, oh my God, that's interesting. Like I had never heard of that before. One would be like, LOL. So you'd laugh. One would be like, you cry, it's cute. Or one would be you like, you're angry, right? And yeah. there's a bunch of different emotions that are the kind of the drivers to why someone wants to share something, why someone wants to interact with it. So I think that's that's an interesting example there. I would say the second thing is the importance of a headline. So Sean has this great line. He's like 80% of the value from a Twitter thread or a piece of content is from the headline. So you you should spend 50% of your time on it. So when I write a tweet thread, say I'm spending, you know, let's just pick an hour. It's usually longer than that, but like an hour. I need to spend 30 minutes of that hour writing and refining the hook and the opening tweet which is crazy if you think about it, right? It could be yeah. a 10-tweet thread. I'm spending yeah. 10% of that, I'm spending 30% or 50% of my time. So, you're so just spend, I, Yeah, you're just like writing like like 30 different like openers, like alternatives yeah, basically, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and we can get into my process for writing too if you're interested in that as well. Um, there's a lot of stuff we can go, uh, go on from there, but yeah, I'll stop there. Uh, as far as like business, did you learn anything from uh, from Sean? Or is that mostly like mostly content-wise? It it was mostly content. I think, you know, him, how he thinks about like analyzing companies was pretty interesting with his rolling fund. You know, he's all about like a lot of people when they talk about like this, their new startup or their new business, they talk a lot about, you know, uh, using jargon like AI, artificial intelligence, and then 
two-sided marketplace and like all that kind of stuff. And like what I really enjoyed about his approach is he's like, like dumb it down as like as much as possible and make it super simple. So like, what are they doing? Who are they trying to do it for? And why should this customer actually pay attention to them? So he had some simple like frameworks like that, that were, that were pretty interesting and pretty useful uh, that I think, you know, he applies when he's looking to invest in, in businesses, which were cool. Awesome. Cool. So I, I want to get more into the the networking stuff. So it seems like you were you were kind of a you were a college athlete for two years, and then COVID hit, freed up a lot of your time. And it seems like it's around that that you started kind of thinking more about. I mean, is that when you started hosting the podcast, the the entrepreneurship series at Yale, Fireside Chats, and also the tweet tweet stuff? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what happened. I kind of said. I idolized people like, you know, Tim Ferriss and like Joe Rogan and all these podcasters. And previously with this Yale Entrepreneur Society Fireside Chat thing I was doing, it was just, you know, someone would show up, they would have a PowerPoint slide and just talk for like an hour. And I said, look, I love podcasting. Why don't I host? Kind of like I'm sure you enjoy like having conversations with cool people. Same reason why you host. I said, you know, selfishly, why can't I, you know, talk to these people and have great conversations? And I think, you know, the, the community at Yale and, and outside would enjoy it as well. So, yeah, that's that's when it started. I started, you know, planning it over a year ago. And we did, I think I did 11 of them this year, once every few weeks, which were which were great. So, yeah, it was, it was a good experience. I can talk about lessons I learned. And then the Twitter stuff as well has been almost a full year on the platform. Went from zero to what I'm at right now, uh, which is great. So yeah, we can we can talk about how I think about networking. I've thought a lot about this, so we can yeah. talk about that as well. Yeah, I think that's a good place to start of like what like what was besides kind of being inspired by like Tim Joe Rogan, what was the inception thoughts uh, behind cuz I know you're very strategic right about it and so like what were the inception thoughts behind I mean starting to create your own personal brand and doing the podcast and the Twitter stuff. Yeah, totally. So in terms of just like stepping back a little bit with the networking stuff. And I think networking is such a bad term because it's kind of yeah. like <laughs> when you think about networking, I'm going to hand out my business card at this like dinner with like a bunch of people in suits. That's at least yeah. what I picture. And I'm yeah. sure a lot of people have the same thought in their head. Instead, I try to think about networking as like trying to meet cool people that have like-minded interests. And like 100%. whether that be, you know, someone who's a billionaire with an amazing business where I just talked to a kid who's 20, a 20 year old running an e-commerce store yesterday. So I think it's, you know, it comes from, you know, all walks of life and all different types of things. And it's really just finding cool people with similar interests. And I think, you know, people have beaten this dead horse a lot. It's like Twitter and the internet unlocks those opportunities just by being not constrained by geography. But yeah, I think the reason why I'm doing it, like why Chris, like, yeah, I'd be like, why, why are you spending all this energy trying to build a network? Because I think, like, if you, I try to think in, like, a very long-term way. So, like, over, like, a decade. So, you know, no matter what I want to do, whether it be building a business, investing, doing something, like, to that extent in the future, having, like, a world-class network is just kind of, like, jet fuel for, like, anything you want to do, right? Whether it be trying to get into your next deal if you're an investor, whether it be trying to make your next career move, whether it be trying to, like, increase your value at a specific firm you're working at, whether it be trying to raise capital from your business, whether it be trying to hire your next employee. So I just think like a network and then specifically an audience, which I think there are two different things there, allow you to do those better. And I think 
talking like back to, I wrote a thread about Mark Andreessen and how he thinks about like career planning. Instead of trying to plan your career, just try to maximize opportunities. And I think this network and this audience is just a way for me to maximize opportunities. When you can maximize opportunities, you can get luckier. And when you get luckier, more better things can happen. Um, so yeah, that's why. What, what was your system as far as like content? Also, I'm curious like how long, how, like how much time you invested in it, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but all, like, so like how much time you invested in it and what the system is behind it. Cause I know you have like a kind of like a weekly systematic, like cadence of, yep. of, uh, of stuff to, to not leave it up to just chance, right? It's very systematic. A hundred percent. Yeah. So when I try to like set any sort of goal or like do anything, what I do is like, okay, what do I want to do in a year? What do I want to do in 10 years? But then like, what can I do on a monthly basis or what can I do on like a weekly basis to like actually give me the chance to do it? Because yeah. like everyone, you know, says I want to do X in a year or I want to do Y in 10 years. Like you can have that, but it's just daydreaming unless you have like a reverse engineered way to put a system around it to actually achieve it. So the specific system I built, like I told you kind of why I want to do this network. So I said, okay, how can I do that? And the system I built is called Attract, Search, and Strengthen. So it's like ASS. It's a funny, funny little <laughs> acronym. Yeah, I like it. Which, uh, which people have laughed at a little bit. But uh, yeah, so what I did is I said, okay, there's three pillars to this network that I'm going to build. One, it's Attract. And that's where the Twitter stuff comes in. So Matthew Kobach has this great quote. He's like a, a big guy on Twitter. He says, Twitter lets you be a, light, a lighthouse for like-minded people. So just like kind of you were able to reach out and I was able to get in touch with Noah and some other people, like you don't really know who's out there. And instead of you trying to be inbound every single time, like me cold emailing 100 people, if I can put out content that I know that people will resonate with, I have no idea who's going to read it and who's going to reach out to me. So I try to have that be like one pillar. And the way I do that is like in a very simple way is I write two tweet threads every single week, no matter what. I write two tweet threads and, you know, if it gets 100, you know, 100,000 impressions, a million impressions, 10 impressions, I'm still going to write those two tweet threads. That just allows more people to be attracted to me. The second part I do and the second pillar is search. So it's exactly like what you would think about with like cold emailing or cold DMing someone. You can't attract everyone to you. It doesn't mean it doesn't matter if you have a million followers. There's still going to be people that have no idea who you are that you find interesting and want to talk to. So what I try to do is, you know, I try to reach out to at least one new person per week. And then I try to jump on a Zoom or a phone call with, with one new person per week. And I think that just like is a very attainable, small, like numbered hit. I'm not trying to sign, send 10 DMs out. Yeah. When you, it's a very attainable, easy way to do it, it's, you know, you can do it with 10 minutes of your time or 30 minutes plus, of your time. Plus, I feel like a lot of it, it's kind of like the floss one tooth like philosophy, right? Like a lot of the times, like you'll do it and then that will start the momentum to just like do a bunch more, right? Exactly. Yeah. Some weeks I'll have five, seven, some weeks I'll have, you know, one. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so the, la- the last thing is strengthen. So I think something that I'm still trying to refine and think more about myself now is, you're meeting all these cool new people. Okay, you know, you talk to someone once, six months goes by and you've never talked to them again. This isn't doing anything. You're just meeting a bunch of strangers and it's kind of worthless. Because like the quality and strength of a relationship is way more important than just like having a hundred people you've talked to once. Yeah. So that's what, what I try to do there is send, you know, one DM and, and have one Zoom with someone I already know per week. But I'm still like trying to adjust that and iterate on that process of like, how can I even do a better job of like staying in touch with these 20 people that I really want to like 
get gain deeper relationships with. But that's the system. And then I do a checklist in Excel where I just have like, okay, you know, here's the one person, here's the one person. I just kind of go down and I highlight it in green when I do it. So it just kind of keeps me on track on a weekly basis. That's awesome. For that, la- for that last one, the strength, and uh, it seems like that's kind of what you did with, with Sean, right? It's like you, init- like you initiated it a while back and then you just like kept following up as there were like relevant things popping up, right? And that's kind of like how you, over time, build like a relationship that ends that ended up into like a job opportunity pretty much. Yeah, it's actually funny. Before I like codified this system, and I've been doing this for, you know, six, seven months, I had done that with Sean without even realizing it. So that was not planned. That wasn't part of the system. But it's a byproduct of, I guess, like thinking about that way, thinking about it that way a little bit, and then kind of going from there. But yeah, it was a funny, it's definitely like, if you just keep getting your, putting yourself on someone's radar like that, um, it, it definitely, you know, works out in your favor. Yeah, it's funny. I've I've thought about it a lot, and it's. I'm curious, like, if you thought of at some point, like, using like a CRM type thing to like kind of follow up on your relationships, because uh, like I think it's something that's like so easy to forget, right? Like, you connect with someone like that you look up to, right? And it's like you have like one or two, like you have like an interaction or two, and then it's like like following up is really like you said is a key, and it's like where the relationship is really built. But a lot of times, it's like falls to the wayside, right? So curious if you thought of like any type of systems to to kind of like make that more of a habit. Yeah, I know. This is like the hardest thing and I'm still working on this. So I'm not definitely not a finished product when it comes to it. I think there's one product by Y Combinator and I forget the company's name, but I used it for a little bit. And the problem is, is like some of these, all like these CRM tools get like tied directly into like your LinkedIn connections or like your phone contacts and stuff like that. And for me, it's like every single person I'm connected with on LinkedIn, like, isn't going to be like, you know, your network because there's you know, mm. 500 people. Yeah. So it becomes like too wide ranging. So that's why I chose to do it by hand. But there are some drawbacks in terms of the follow up. I have to, there's, I'm thinking about systems to like, you know, do a better job of that. One I've been toying with and thinking about is like this thing called like a board of directors. Have you heard of this personal board of directors thing? Uh, Noah actually talks about it a little bit, but I uh, go. Okay. go, go. Yeah, go go ahead and explain uh, from your angle. So this is a brand new thing. I have I'm just starting to work on it. Is basically like a friend and I are like, okay, we're going to be accountability partners, right? We're going to like, like we want to you know have these certain like fitness goals, career goals, uh, network goals, like me, you know, all those kind of like different categories of your life. And one piece of the network stuff is like having a board of directors, meaning like you know a solid five to ten people that are in different areas that you look up to that can like be, you know, provide advice, you you know, you help them in some sort of reciprocal relationship and they don't know you're on your their your board of directors, but you know, you look up to them in some way and and see their advice is something that's really important that you're going to follow. So, I'm starting to work to put together people for me, but it's still, you know, early early work in progress. Something I'm actually going to be doing this week. So, is it like an aspirational board of director or is it like um so is it like you 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 kind of pick the people on that board and then you kind of you try to actually go and get advice from them just here and there or is it like a like what would this person do in this scenario type of thing where it's like like you're just imagining like how they would think through this problem? I think so. The, I think the aspirational one can work, but for me, I was thinking like more concrete. So it's like people I've talked to once, say, and then I want to you know talk to them more often and make sure like I'm talking to them on a weekly or monthly basis, sending them a DM or a text or something like that. 
Um, and then, you know, that, that would be how I would think about it. But I can see, you know, aspirational is something, you know, maybe you want to get in touch with this person in the future. You've consumed a lot of their content, whether it be on podcast, Twitter, YouTube, whatever. And then you wouldn't go from there. Uh, but yeah, I think, I think it could work either way, but I'm thinking more concretely. Yeah. Yeah. Word. That, that's super interesting. Going back to what's the first, what's the A search and what's oh, the attra- A? Oh, attract. Attract. Yeah. So I'd love to hear um, one story for both of those of like one, one connection that you've been able to build through that's like been meaningful to you through the attract and then another one uh, through the search where you like reached out directly. Yeah, totally. So let me think about search first. One person that I've been able to talk to, which is really cool, uh, he's the founder of Bleacher Report. So his name's uh, oh, Dave nice. Nimitz. Uh, so I cold DM'd him on Twitter and saw what he was doing was really cool and and jumped on a phone call with him and, and chatted with him once. Uh, and that was that was cool. You know, we haven't worked together in the future. We haven't worked together just yet or done stuff like that. But he's uh, he's something that someone that has some really interesting perspectives on on media and that kind of stuff. And it's been, it's been good to like get to know him a little bit from Twitter and kind of following his stuff that way. Can, can you share um, how, like how, how that DM went? Like what, what, like what do you, what do you send out to him? And like, why do you think he answered? Like, do you think it had something to like, were you already, you already have an audience and do you think that had something to do with him answering? Cause I think that's like social proof is also pretty important. Right. And then, like, what were you guys talking about, right? Like, how, like, how did you kind of have the conversation go? Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. So I can think I have a little bit of a framework for how I think about like sending cold DMs and cold emails. So I think it's like it might be like SSS is the way to think about it. It's like <laughs> short, specific, and spacing. So it's when I send, and this is better for like when you're sending an email, but it can also suffice for for DMs. And I think the important thing we can zero in on for this one is specific. So in Dave's case, when you send a DM to someone, is like I didn't have a big audience. I probably had a thousand followers, like nothing like really big that he would he would take note of. When I send something to them, I'm not saying, "Hey, Dave, I'm a fan of your stuff. Can I pick your brain about nothing?" Yeah. Noah's been on the record saying how he hates pick, brain pickers, which I've heard this term from a lot of people now. Instead, I'm saying, hey, I actually recently, I know, you know, you found a bleach report. I recently saw that the hustle got acquired by HubSpot. I think there's an interesting model going on where media brands are getting bought by software companies to reduce their customer acquisition cost. I might not go into that in depth, but like that tangent of like, hey, you have media experience. I'd love to talk to you about this new trend and how this is actually related. And it's much more specific than just like, can I talk to you? When you say something specific, the chances of them responding are higher. Not that they're going to respond every single time. You're definitely going to have plenty of not, no response and rejections. But I think having adding specificity to your ask and why you want to talk to them is, is more important. And from there, you try to hop on a call uh, with him or, or is it like kind of yeah. back and forth? Yeah. Yeah, it was a little bit of a back and forth to start. And then I brought up the point about, you know, the hustle and HubSpot and and those types of things. And was like, we'd love to talk about these three topic areas if you have any time. And then he said, yes, in this instance, you know, other people could could say, hey, I'm working on my own stuff, not doing a bunch of calls with strangers right now. And that's totally fine, too. That's awesome. That's very, very cool. And then um, so I guess the second one is attract. Okay. yeah. So 
one interesting person here is, so I'm going to give him a shout out. My buddy, uh, Sam Spitz. So he founded, so he DM me kind of out of nowhere when I had under a thousand followers. So it wasn't like I had this big audience that I was attracting people. And he was like, Hey, you know, I'm a senior at, I'm a senior at Rice University. I'm interested in entrepreneurship. He was, you know, going to take a job as like a software investor when he graduated. He was a senior like me. And so we hopped on a call and, you know, he was a great guy, really smart. And then we stayed in touch and fast forward eight months later, I guess. So I talked to him a while ago. He founded a company called Wearloom that everyone can check out who's listening to this. It's like W-E-A-R-L-O-O-M.com. And they just raised uh, a round from Jason Calacanis and his launch syndicate. He's doing that. He's, you know, not doing his software investing job. He's building this startup. They're getting great traction. They got 6,000 users already. They're, you know, crushing it. And like, that's a guy that out of nowhere, he reached out to me. And now he's, you know, already, you know, in this really cool syndicate and doing all these really cool things and building something interesting. Uh, and it's, you know, that's just from the power of attracting people on Twitter. That's super cool, man. Yeah, it's weird how, I, th- I feel like the pandemic kind of like made this a little more normal, you know? Not that it wasn't mm-hmm. normal before, but like, totally. I just, I just noticed myself like, more, like I- I'm just hopping like on a couple of Zoom calls with like, just like strangers, like every single yep. week, you know? And just like, it like all starts from like putting stuff out, right? Kind of like creating in public or like having a podcast or something and like, People reacting to it, like either DMing DMing you or you're like reaching out to other people that are building cool stuff. And then it's like you just you just hop on the quick like 30-minute Zoom call, and that usually that ends up to like these real relationships like over the internet, you know? <laughs> it's, a, totally. it's super cool. It's so cool, man. And I feel like it's like the quarantine like just like made it more of a thing. Cause before it was like, oh, I want to grab coffee, which is like a way bigger kind of like barrier to entry, right? It's like, oh, I have to like, actually go and like drive to a coffee shop and it's like a lot of the times we're like not in the same city right but here it's like oh like hop on the zoom we can do it like later today you know exactly it's this i never did zoom calls with strangers and before covid so i'm new to this game as well and it did make it normal to to do and i'm glad it happened because i've met you know people that i would consider close friends now or good friends that i've never met in person so yeah it's crazy that's yeah it's it's so cool man we live in a a very interesting time. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So I'm curious, I think a lot of people are intrigued by Twitter now, especially I feel like, I mean, just like people that are interested in tech, especially, and a lot of people our age are interested in building, I mean, I am interested in building like a Twitter um, following as well, just because like, like you said, it's like it, it, it opens up opportunities. It seems like, like you, you started off like when you started off like tweeting like seriously, how many followers did you have? Zero. Zero, okay. So I made a brand new account almost a year ago exactly. It was June of last year. So it's 12 months later. Yeah, I had zero, literally zero. Started at square one. And did you start the two threads a week strategy from day one? No. Yeah. Okay, the so two how, threads can you talk about like how, how, that, how you started and then like how, kind of like the evolution of the Twitter account? Because I think that's really interesting of like, I, I saw, I kind of scrolled back a little bit on your Twitter and it's like, in the beginning, like even like, like when you started doing the thread stuff, like you were getting a couple likes, right? And I think, yeah. I think especially Twitter, like it's easier to get likes on like Instagram and stuff like that where you already mm-hmm. have like a network of like close friends. But a lot of people starting on Twitter, it's like, you're starting with zero, like you said. And it's like, 
a lot like most of your friends are probably not on Twitter, like, like your current friends, right? And it's like yeah. it's kind of discouraging where it's like you put out a tweet, you put a good amount of time in it, and it's like you get like three likes, you know, sometimes even less, sometimes zero I've likes. Been you know? there, I've been there many times. That I'm laughing because this is just so classic Twitter. You'll have a thousand followers and I'll get zero likes. You can get one like with a thousand followers, which like on Instagram, you have a thousand followers, you're getting 200 likes, right? Like yeah, something like yeah. crazy high. So yeah, it is, it's insane. Like how like little feedback you can get from like however, like having a thousand followers, something like that. So I'll take you back to why I even started. I watched a video and I've probably told 20 or 30 people like who have DM me about this, this okay. video. So David Prell and Matthew Kobach, it's on YouTube. You can search like how to crush it on Twitter. Okay. And those two, Prell's got 200,000 plus. He's pretty well known as like the writing guy. And then Matthew Kobach is like a social media guy that works at Fast, like one click checkout for the internet. It's a startup. So he's their social media manager. And those two just riffed on like the point of Twitter, why to get on it, what to do with it, whatever. And I watched that video in like April or May and I was like thinking about it. I was like, I need to try this. Like, this is crazy. I need to attempt to do this. So I, you know, did it in June. I, I started my new account and I started completely fresh. Like I, I didn't want to have like random sports tweets or whatever from like three years ago. So I started a fresh account and the first thing, and I think the most important thing to think about is like, originally it was like finding your niche. And I think everyone talks about that. It's like, for people who don't know, like your niche is basically like, when they say Jeremy, what is he known for on Twitter? Is it like an easily summarizable thing? And for, if you think about like the biggest brands in the world right now, Tim Ferriss, right? Originally his first few years, guess what he was known as? The four hour guy. Four-hour body, four-hour chef, four-hour uh, work week, right? And only as he's become a lot more well-known and famous has he shifted to a different thing, right? Now he's like deconstructing world-class performers or whatever, something like that. So I think niching down is like the key to gaining any sort of traction in the beginning. Because when you scroll across a random stranger's account on the internet and they have 100 followers – you're not going to follow them unless you're like, this is a clear value proposition that can make me smarter, save me time, improve me in some way. Because at the end of the day, it's like a product. You're, yourself is a product. You're selling, instead of selling a feature, you're selling the benefit of the product. It's so like, for me, it's basically like yeah, buying so a know. product on Amazon, right? It's like you exactly. have a need, you buy the product, right? It's like, like you have like an interest or like, an, like something you want to learn more about, you follow someone on Twitter. A hundred percent. So that, that literally, you should think of yourself as an Amazon product page. That, that's how I would think about it. It's good. It's a good description. So yeah, for me, I started out early. I was like, okay, I'm, you know, reading these Sam Altman and Paul Graham essays. I should talk about startups. That should be my niche. And I did early, early on, I, I haven't mentioned this before. I did this series called Founder Focus, where I basically okay. reached out to entrepreneurs. I would cold DM them like, small bootstrap, like, you know, one employee, like not some like big company. And I would say, hey, here are three questions that I have for you about X. How do you delegate? What do you do this? And they would respond in the DMs. And then I would put it as like a little mini tweet thread of like 280 character responses. So it was like inter a mini interview series, which That's I cool. think is a very interesting idea. It didn't really gain much traction because you can't really, the point of like an interview is to be able to like expand and long form and like add nuance. 
you can't really have like a very good answer that's not a stupid sound bite in like 280 mm. characters. Yeah. So that's why I think it wasn't like didn't take off. But I did that, you know, for two months and that did like okay, right? Like I met a few cool people that I still talk to today that were like those original founders that I DM'd, right? Oh, so like sweet. So it was like networking was plus content. Yeah. Networking exactly. plus content. Networking yeah. plus content. And there's probably two of them that I still talk to. One guy in particular that I become like buddies with. But uh, yeah, so that was my start. I was like startup guy, but then I realized, oh wait, you're a college kid who's never built a startup. Why would you? F- I follow you. That's you have to be brutally honest with yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't have any startup experience. The best I could do, right, was go out there and like summarize and distill and curate like essays and stuff, which I think's valuable. But like, if you're gonna follow me or you're gonna follow anyone who's like built any real startup and can talk about their experience you're going to follow the guy who's built the startup, the guy or girl who started it. So I said, no, startups aren't the right thing, though it's interesting to talk about. It's not really the right the right niche. And then, you know, I realized how much of like a more systems and like framework-oriented thinker that I am that you can tell on this call, right? I'm building systems for everything. So I said, okay, systems and frameworks and that kind of stuff. And that's what turned into like my little moniker on Twitter, like the frameworks guy. Because I think in that in that way, so whether it be little frameworks or systems that I built myself, like this attract, search, strengthen, or like the cold email SSS, or ways that I think about the world or approach it, or I take and find the best frameworks, you know, from people that I that I come across and I study and I distill them and mention them to my own audience. So that's kind of what I do. And then the last piece and that I found is telling a great story, you still can win on Twitter and do well in that. So my bio, I think, is like writing threads on framework systems and epic business stories. So that's the last part, like telling a great story about like, I wrote one on the story of WhatsApp and I wrote one on a few different, like the origin story of Reddit. And, you know, I've written a few of these kind of cool stories. So that's been some of my content. And the last part is personal experience of me interviewing these really, really cool entrepreneurs that have founded, you know, unicorns and incredible brands and the, I've taken their lessons and like distilled them into threads. So that's kind of why, how I think about the content because it's like personal experience of like, I've interviewed these people, here's what they told me and I'm telling everyone else. And, you know, frameworks and systems I've built or people that I've come across that I think they have interesting systems. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what I've been doing. It feels like it's like a crossover between like Shane, you know, Shane Parish. Uh, of course, yeah, he's great. Yeah. It seems like like a, a crossover between him, like my first millionaire, like the hustle, you know, and then mm-hmm. Tim Ferriss for like the big big interview breakdowns. That's yep. cool, man. That's cool. You found your kind of found your niche and and your voice and created something unique out of it. Definitely, thank you. So going back to like the early days, I, I'd love to like for you to share of like kind of like getting those couple likes, you know, and like how you, how you kind of blew past that of like how you, how you went from like, oh, getting two, three likes on the tweet to like, was it just like, oh, I keep putting out two threads a week. Some of them get like one like, you know, and then like, for, like one out of 10 uh, gets like a hundred, you know, and it's like, like what, mm-hmm. what, 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 is that how it happened? Or was it just like getting two likes progressively, kind of like two, three, you know, and eventually like, getting more, you know, like what was, and then what was the inflection point? I'm curious. Okay. There's a lot to cover here. So it might take an hour. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah. At, at the top, at the start, it was, I got two likes, my girlfriend and my mom. So <laughs> yeah. we've all been there, right? You know, my girlfriend would like some of my tweets as a pity party. 
even though she doesn't even go on Twitter. And then my mom would like a tweet or two. Uh, but yeah, so going from there to being able to get a bunch of likes on a bunch of my posts, there was definitely an inflection point, but I'll think I'll kind of take you back to originally what I was at. So February 1st, I was at 2000 followers. And I said to myself, I'm in this camp of set a goal so big it'll blow your mind is like a thing I grew up with. That was like a quote because my dad's in sales, right? He's like a sales related person. And he's like, you know, setting big goals that, you know, even if you fail, you're going to still turn out better than you would if you just set a small goal. So I set a goal on February 1st that by April 1st, I was going to get have 10,000 followers. That is an absurd goal considering that in eight months, I had 2,000. Yeah. Right. Or like seven months. So like in two months now, you're going to go from 2000 to 10,000. My girlfriend was like, ha, ha, ha. Like, you know, it's pretty crazy. It was kind of crazy at that point to, that I was going to get to 10,000. So what I did is I did this two thread a week thing and I kept going. I kept going. It was March like 20th and I was at 2,500 <laughs> followers <laughs> or like whatever. So I'm not even close. Like I'm, I have 10 days and I am very far away. So I wrote a thread on James Clear. I basically, and we can talk about this later too. It's pretty interesting. For 365 straight days, I've read one page of one book. Like I did some sort of reading and I took that from reading Atomic Habits and, you know, learning about like the importance of building habits early in quarantine. I did that. And then I wrote a thread about that and that went pretty viral. It got like three, 4,000 likes. And then I was at 4,000, 5,000 followers. And I had another thread that did like pretty well. But I was at 5,000 followers and it was like April 1st. And I was like, shoot, I bombed this. Like I did not, I, I didn't do it. But April 9th, I write a thread of like, I interviewed, and it's my pin, pin one. I interviewed five founders of billion dollar startups. Here's what I learned. That one went, I went from 5,000 followers to 17,000 overnight. Damn. So I tripled, right? I more than tripled my following and like, I failed to hit my April 1st goal, but by April 9th, I was well on my way and I did it. So I think that just like illustrates the point of like set the insane goal that like I technically failed, but I was way better off than saying, I'm just going to get double my follower count in two months. I'm going to get to 4,000 because that would be a rational person's approach. Think different, right? You're like, think different. And I I I also believe in what I'm doing. Exactly. I also believe in sort of like you can attract it to you to a certain extent, like some sort of like law attraction that people think is like hokey pokey. But I think there's a certain extent if you just continually put out that like, I'm going to do this, it's already done. Eventually, there'll be a way that you'll get there. You don't know how, but it will happen. So I think there's in addition to having the system in place, and it's not like I'm just sitting there writing no tweets and saying I'm going to get to 10,000. I had a system, but I also had a belief that it would happen. Um, so that happened. I got to, from 5,000 to 17,000, that completely changed, you know, the engagement that I had, like the, the likes I was getting like per tweet. And that was definitely the inflection point. And I would say the next part that's gotten me from, you know, 17 to 47,000, let's call it, has been finding other people that are like looking to achieve the same sort of goals. And then just like sharing best practices and learning from them because, at the end of the day, like when you're surrounded, and I took this from Sean as well. He said, like, when you want to do something, like surround yourself with people trying to do the same thing. Yeah. So, you know, I've become friends with people in a similar range of me and, and followers. And we've all learned from each other of like, 
oh wait, when you do this certain call to action, this is helpful. Or when you, you know, format it this way, it can be a good thing. Or when you do, you know, this sort of numbering of the tweets or not numbering the tweets or this type of format works. And when you're constantly sharing those tips and tricks and learning from each other, it just is even, you can grow even faster because it's a community like learning together. So, so I'd you say guys those have like a, the, like a group text together where you just like exchange lessons? Yeah, or, or yeah like, it's, it's, it's a little more informal than that. Like I, there might be, I've been a text thread at one time and then it wouldn't be, but it was uh, sometimes it's just like one-off type of stuff, but it's, you're just like learning. Like I'd be like, look, wh- why do you think that thread did well that you put out? Like any, any tips like, oh, what time of the day do you think is the best to post? Like, mm. do you, you know, retweet yourself after to like give the thread more momentum? Like how do you yeah. handle that? So it's like all these like very like inside baseball, like deep down the rabbit hole, unless you're like very involved in this Twitter thing, you wouldn't know. So you have to just like learn from other people instead of trying to do everything on your own. Very cool. And it also seems like there's a lesson of like, hey, like, like it's kind of like 80-20, but like almost brought to the extreme where it's like, it's like the top tweets are really going to be the ones that like make you like pop off, right? And so it's like, actually going back to that, like how much time do you spend on, like how much time do you spend on that one specifically, the, 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 the lessons from billion dollar founders? Yeah, so that one specifically, it's kind of a tough thing to gauge because I had to do all the interviews. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, like yeah, yeah. <laughs> those were the prep for the interviews, the hour interview, like that whole thing. So that was hours and hours and hours, 10, 15 hours. But the actual like drafting of that thread probably an hour and a half, maybe two hours. Um, and that, that made all the difference. But like I'd spend an hour and a half, two hours on a bunch of other threads that got 10 likes or 20 yeah. or 50 or 100. That one happened to get, I think it was 33,000 or something insane. So you kind of never, you can like, I have a feel now of like what I think will do well, but you yeah. can never predict if do well means I get 1,000 likes or 30,000 likes. Yeah. That is part of, it's a luck. Like I can't, like when we can talk about the ghostwriting work that I've been doing as well, like I can't guarantee that someone's thread or whatever is going to go viral. What I can say is the process to get there is in place and the rest of it's luck and algorithm and that kind of stuff. Word. Yeah, so it's, it seems like just like being consistent and then just consistently putting the effort to make, I mean, to make every piece like great and then it's like the market decides whether they like it or not. Yeah, it's a continuous improvement thing. Like the thread I write three months ago, I'd be horrified at versus what I'm writing today. And if I keep improving, which I hope to, in two months, the thread I write today will look stupid. So it's constantly like improving and growing and iterating on what's working and going back and forth from there. So real quick, I want to hear, because I mean, again, I think you're really skilled at connecting with people. So I'm curious to hear how you got the interviews with like some huge names for the podcast. Like if there are any like strategies you used or if you think the Yale name was like a big part of it. Like what, how, how do you get those people? So the Yale name definitely helped. I think if I just had my own podcast, like Chris's interviews, I wouldn't have gotten those guests and I'll be, I'm not going to give myself like too much credit. Right. Yeah. But I think there are, is an aspect like, I've heard from people that have reached out to them before that never got a response. So I think there is part of it. It's the Yale name. It's Yale Entrepreneurial Society. That's great. Part of it is the specific way I was doing it. So I'm going to give you know 60% of the credit to the Yale name. 
And that's but part of it. Pe- just to like, like, like you have to find like, like putting, like using someone else's name or like another company or uh, like people that have like Google in their resume, right? Or like, like even you mm-hmm. now, like apprentice under uh, like Sean Puri, right? It's like it's it's mm-hmm. credibility that you're taking from other people, which like like kind of helps. <laughs> yep, totally. Yeah. It's, it's associated. Yeah, it's 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 uh, virtual signaling in a way, right? Yep. Yeah. yeah, so I'd say, yeah, definitely. But I would say the pieces that you can control, back to the short, specific, and spacing, I thought a lot about, like I would spend a lot of time on this cold email and it might be five lines. Okay, so like, what would I do? I would, you know, quickly, I would say, hi, Emmett, and this is just Emmett Shear, the CEO of Twitch, right? I would say, hi, Emmett, my name's Chris Ladzik, I'm a senior at Yale, and I host this uh, fireside chat series with this. And in one line, he knows who I am, why I'm emailing him and what I do instead of taking a paragraph to do that, right? Second line would be, uh, and, and I'm going to butcher a little bit the exact, but it would be like, would you be interested in speaking to our group in a fireside chat for 45 minutes like this fall? And then it would be the most important part. So that's the ask, which is clear. And then I'd space it out. So it's not like a block of text, kind of like you're writing a tweet. You want to space it out. So it's easy to read. Last thing would be, I would love to talk to you about these three things, just like I did with Dave Nemitz from Bleacher Report. Very specific. Oh, wait, I saw you guys pivoted from Justin TV to Twitch because you guys focused on gaming-centric users, and that was a novel insight. That, I want to talk about the pivot. I want to talk about this other thing. So, like, when he reads that email, he says, in one line, I know exactly who this kid is and why he's talking. Two, it's a clear ask. And three, he's obviously done his homework. He hasn't sent a cold email out to 100 big names. Done. So like he knows I'm not an idiot and he knows that I'm like thinking thoughtfully about why I'm reaching out to him and what I want to talk to him about. And then we can talk about what I do to like actually make sure the guest has a good time and like the preparation aspect because I think I do something unique there yeah, uh, that you actually might like too. So we can go into that. So yeah, I land the guest. I'm all pumped. I got Emma Cheer. I'm, you know, nervous to interview this guy. It's awesome. And what I specifically do is I will literally read, listen to, watch like every interview they've ever done. And I will know exactly what they've been asked before and know what I should double down on, what I should ask that might be new. Because people that have done a lot of interviews, like a perfect example would be Michael Seibel. He's the CEO of Y Combinator. I interviewed him as well. And like, he has a million videos on YouTube. He doesn't want to hear the same, what, what advice would you give to me kind of question. That's terrible. Yeah. So what I would do is I would say, okay, he's been asked all these things. Here are like unique, different questions. And then I would literally go and spend like hours writing out 10 to 20 questions. And then beforehand, literally like a few days before the interview, I would send him these questions and say, I did, I listened to all your stuff. Here's all the research I did. Here are some questions just so you have, you know, a chance to take a look. 98% of the time, these guys are so busy, guys or girls or women are so busy that they don't even read these ahead of time. Like they're not even reading the questions, but the fact that you did the research and showed them how serious you are makes them take it very differently than if you just show up and they have no idea if you read their Wikipedia page for two minutes or you did all the research. Yeah. So it's like before the interview happens, you've already won, right? Like it's already going to be a good experience because you did the preparation. So That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Way to, way to prep. It's uh and uh, sending questions before, super smart as well. 
Some people don't like that. Like I know, uh, I don't think Tim Ferriss sends questions beforehand. He just says you have final cut, you can take them out. Yeah. But for me, as like a college kid without the credibility of like him with this huge podcast, everyone knows that Tim Ferriss does a lot of prep. They have no idea if I do. So yeah. I thought it's better to err on the side of sending them ahead of time than not. It's just res- like showing them that you respect their time. Yep. That's cool. I- I'm just curious how you think of career, how you think of your career, and uh, any advice you have for people listening. Yeah, yeah, totally. So in terms of like career advice stuff, uh, so for me, I'm a non-technical person, right? I'm not a computer software designer, not a computer programmer. And I think joining a firm uh, that I'm doing in investment banking is a really good opportunity to learn a technical skill set. And why I mentioned computer programming is like, that's an ex- a very easily understandable example of a technical skill set that someone can grab onto and say, I know how to do X. I think mm-hmm. finance is another great example of that. So for me, that is, I know how to do accounting. I know how to analyze the financial markets. I know, you know how LBOs work and M&A and that kind of stuff. And when you can understand something from a technical perspective, it just gives you another kind of tool in your toolkit uh, to you know take that and, and whether it be continue in finance and, and continue to progress in that way or do something differently, you're still learning something technical, which is great. So that's kind of how I'm thinking about that. And I think the easily, you know, easy advice for for people listening is try to gain specific skills. And I think another specific skill is how to write great stories on Twitter, how to write tweet threads. That's a skill that you can get paid to ghostwrite for. You can be a consultant for different brands that I've um, that that you could potentially talk to or consult for. So I think just like thinking about what skills can I develop that will make me as much of a threat in the future for whatever you do. And threat meaning you can be very dangerous and build great things or add value to you know whatever career you do. Um, so I think I think building skills should be first and foremost instead of like career planning, more like maximizing opportunity and, and building skills. Nice. Yeah, that's solid advice. I think it's a, a great place to end uh, the interview. Where, where can people find you online if they want to kind of follow follow your journey? If you're listening this far, you can find me on Twitter at Chris Halad. So it's H-L-A-D uh, is the end. But uh, yeah, give me a give me a follow. And if you're listening to this, send me a DM. I'll I'll get back to you. So it's good to good to talk though. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, it was fun. Thanks. There you have it. I hope you got something out of that conversation. And I wanted to give a quick shout out to my good friend Sam, who edits this podcast every week. If you need any kind of help with audio or video editing, reach out to him directly on Instagram. His handle is at Saman Ajigazem, which instead of spelling out, I'm going to include that in the description. So wherever you're listening or watching to this, it will be in the description. But yeah, reach out to him. He's awesome. Also, I really want to make this podcast as helpful as possible for you. So if you have any feedback whatsoever, feel free to reach out to me on Instagram at Jeremy John Mary. And let me know how I can make this better or if you have any questions for me personally. All right, thanks for listening and have an epic week, guys. Peace.